Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant. But no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant up. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all you guys are having a great start to your week. Today is Lakers Day. We're having my friend Jovan Buha on the show again to break down all things Lakers. Going to ask him some questions about some potential guys returning from injury, the Chicago Bulls saga, and then we're going to dive into the basketball and talk about everything that's been going on with this team, not just over the last couple of weeks, but over the season in general. Jovan, how's it going, man? It is good to see you again. It's good to see you, man. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I heard you. I heard you started your or you're starting your Achilles rehab today. So I'm going to I'm going to not talk about my Achilles ramp up because mine is <laughs> from like severe tendonitis. You actually t- tore yours. That would make me a huge loser. So I'm not going to do that. We're going to dive straight into into Lakers basketball. 
Um, let's start with a guy that I think is kind of in that same vein. Jared Vanderbilt is allegedly ramping up, but Darvin Ham mentioned last night that it's a slow ramp up. I'm wondering if they're uh, if they're kind of treating that similar to Achilles related stuff in the sense that because it's kind of in and around his heel, if they're just being very careful with it. I was just hoping you could give us an update on Jared Vanderbilt and his potential return to play. Yeah, well, I feel like I have to give the caveat that with any Lakers injury situation, uh, it's it's kind of day to day. And, um, you know, you, you hear different things and, you know, a guy will have a setback or uh, it just feels like all of these situations that they've dealt with really for several years now have kind of been dragged out. I think Kendrick Nunn. Uh, is the most famous example. Uh, but with the Vando situation, uh, so we spoke, the last time we we spoke was uh, the day after uh, it, his announcement of him re- you know, returning to the court. And I had heard that the Lakers were targeting this road trip for him to return. But obviously, uh, we, we got a couple games left. Uh, it seems unlikely. I, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he plays in that OKC game, but it, it does seem unlikely right now. So uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, next week is probably the more optimistic uh, end of the timeline. And then potentially uh, the week after that, uh, depending on, I mean, again, as, as you were saying, like he's got heel bursitis. So a lot of this is just uh, how does he uh, fare after, you know, getting on the court, he's been doing some two on two and three on three stuff. Uh, some, you know, starting to do some contact. Uh, so I, I think with, with him, it's just a matter of pain tolerance uh, how does it respond to being on back on the floor uh, how does it respond to contact and and how does it respond to treatment and it's really a day-by-day process of just monitoring that uh, before they're comfortable with him being back on the floor yeah and again that, that specific area that lower part of your heel is like one of the most poorly circulated parts of your body it heals extremely slow down there it's so painstaking you know i've heard a lot of laker fans like and non-laker fans say things like oh like jared vanderbilt's not going to fix all your problems and i agree in the grand scheme of like the playoff ceiling of the team and everything like that but there's no question he's just a huge help in the regular season he is the one top tier high motor athlete that they have on the roster the other two guys cam reddish and Max Christie, they're both a little bit on the smaller side where Jared Vanderbilt brings real length and size and athleticism and motor. And that's like one of the most valuable things that a basketball team can have in the regular season. So I think him coming back will help them with some of the day in, day out effort stuff, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. The next guy, Rui Hachimura, had a, uh, a, a nasal fracture, I guess, and apparently had a procedure done. Where is he at in his potential return? This one came out of nowhere because I didn't notice a Rui hit to the face in that Dallas game. Uh, you know, he wasn't bleeding, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, and and I think you you would have noticed something like that. Uh, so that was kind of a freak accident that happened. Uh, but he's going to be reevaluated in a week, which would put him uh, potentially returning for that Houston game, uh, if not for the wild card game next Tuesday. Uh, in the start of the playing tournament. So uh, I, I suspect Rui will be back for one of those two games, most likely wearing a mask. Uh, but this was another, like, this kind of sums up the Lakers season. Of They're already dealing with, uh, you know, uh, Vando and, and Gabe. Ham goes out, Rui goes out. It's just like one guy after the, the other with these random sort of freak injuries that they've had. Uh, but Rui is the one that, uh, Rui and Cam could be back by the end of the week. And so on that front, at least, uh, the Lakers should have some reinforcements soon. 
Yeah, I'd heard that. I guess I guess Cam Reddish has actually dealt with growing issues in the past, so he's just been particularly careful with his. Um, I'm excited to see Masked Rui. I think that's going to be fun to watch. And again, like Rui and Rui and Jared in particular are both very important for the regular season. And I think I think that's going to be something that will help at least steady the ship on the night to night stuff. Well, uh, there is this other guy who plays for the Lakers. His name is Gabe Vincent. I know we don't remember this because he's only played in four games this season. But is he still on the team? Is he still going to be playing basketball anytime soon? Where are we at with Gabe Vincent and his return to play? Yeah, so he's set to be reevaluated by the end of the week. And from that point, there there should be an update. Uh, this is the one that I don't have a great sense of the timeline on. Uh, and people have been comparing him to Kendrick Nunn. Both guys came over from Miami. Uh, so I I mean, with, with left diffusion, it's kind of this weird thing with, with swelling and uh, again, kind of just how he's handling the the you know he had prp treatment done to his knee and um it, it's just it, it's one of those situations where it, it is kind of again kind of a treatment based thing in terms of just how his body responds uh so gabe is the one that i think there's an unclear timeline on right now and i wouldn't be surprised if he's out a bit longer uh but that could be next week that could be several weeks uh right now it's pretty up in the air yeah it, it one of the things with gabe too is his return actually makes the most sense after Jared Vanderbilt has returned just with the direction the team has gone in the sense that they've gone more towards staggering Austin and D'Lo and playing one of their good point of attack guys at the two. And that's not to say that I don't think Gabe can do that, but I think Cam and Max have been better than even Gabe is capable of just from a size standpoint. And so in a weird way, having Vanderbilt back to kind of take some of those primary point of attack assignments so that, you know, because like the slotting has worked really well in the sense that Max Christie has been so good at the point of attack over the last few games. And I watched the film this morning. He was not responsible for that complete shit show defensively in the first half. It was basically everybody else. And so with Max being able to kind of take the higher difficulty assignments that has slotted Torian better. And he's been able to handle lesser assignments in, uh, in, in, in the minutes that he's been um, out there with them. Right. And so that's kind of the way I look at it is like, if Gabe is your primary point of attack guy, that's getting, uh, getting minutes there next to, to Torian, it can be a problem. But if Jared's out there and he could take the more difficult assignment, that makes more sense. So like in a weird way, I'm not even sure that he'd be as useful now as he can be when, when Jared comes back. The, um, the final part of this, before we get into some of the basketball stuff, and this is not really directly re- related to the, the Lakers, although uh, you and I both believe so in kind of the grand scheme, the Chicago Bulls are, are still a shit show and they are, they are in all likelihood going to blow things up this year. So I, I want to talk about it first from the perspective of what you've been hearing within the Lakers and what your sense is on the direction they're leaning. And then I want you and I to talk about which Chicago Bulls players we think the Lakers should target. But let's start with the Lakers and what you've heard and what your sense of the situation is. What is their read on Chicago and who they prefer in that specific situation? Yeah, well, in conversations I've had in in recent weeks regarding the Bulls, uh, there is real interest in Zach Levine but I think it comes at the right price, right? So if you look at his contract, uh, he's owed, I mean, take put aside the, the 40 million that he's making this year, but it's about 
uh, 130 plus million over the next three years. Uh, he, he's got like a 50 something million dollar player option uh, that I think he's going to pick up in 2026, 27. Uh, so I, they're looking at it like if we're investing in this, like th this is kind of a negative contract, right? Uh, so we don't want to give up too much. Uh, in terms of you know our depth and and draft capital and and they are limited of course in in uh, when they can give up certain players and then on top of that they don't have much draft uh, capital to include uh, anyway so uh, I've actually heard that they're more interested in Demar Derozan and Alex Caruso uh, that was something I reported uh, a couple of weeks ago and I mean AC he's the one that got away. Uh, Laker fans still, uh, it still bothers them inside the organization. It, it's still a very divisive topic, uh, in, in terms of his departure and, and why that happened and who's to blame. And it's just kind of a thorny situation still. Uh, and then DeMar is someone that the Lakers have courted for several years now, uh, dating back to, you know, originally Toronto and then San Antonio, uh, and now in Chicago. So, also, both of those guys are on more manageable contracts. Uh, Alex uh, is has a partial guarantee for next season. Demar is an expiring contract. Uh, so you look at Demar comes in. He's that over the top shot maker that the team seemingly doesn't really have outside of when LeBron's jumper is falling. I think he's someone that could be a crunch time option for them uh, and kind of balance out LeBron's uh, you know pick and roll attacks. Uh, and then Alex Crusoe, one of the best point of attack defenders in the league, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, period. Uh, so I mean, we've seen the success he's had next to LeBron and AD uh, in a Lakers jersey. So I think both of those guys make more sense within what the Lakers need. Uh, I think with Zach, you, you could see the fit there as, as the third guy. I, I think the Lakers haven't had that third reliable offensive option, uh, you know, this season, I, I think Austin has, has grown into that more recently. And that was what we were expecting from game one. But with the start, uh, you know, the, the struggles of that starting group, them moving Austin to the bench, I, I think th they've kind of needed that third guy. Uh, and I think Austin could do it. But uh, whether you get Zach, whether you get DeMar, whether you get someone else, um, I, I do think they could use a boost offensively. So uh, I think there's there's real interest in all three guys. Uh, but from what I've been told, DeMar and Alex are higher on their priority list. You know, I'm glad to hear you say that because, like, I here's the thing. In a vacuum, I lean Zach for a couple of reasons. One, LeBron's going to have the ball at the end of a lot of these games and in big moments. And he, as like, I, I think about like the two man game stuff that Austin and LeBron have had so much success with like ghost screens and slipping out of it. They did a lot of that in the playoffs last year too. I imagine Zach is kind of a more high powered offensive version of that type of game. And Austin's so good off the ball that that can work great. I uh, also DeMar DeRozan as a over the top shot maker, like last year he made, about 47% of his pull-up jump shots, which even though he only takes long twos, that's still pretty good. And uh, But this year, his pull-up shooting is way down. And so I, I, I just look at, like, Zach's playing uh, at, a, at a level that's a little bit higher than where, where DeMar is right now. I do like DeMar as a passer better. And then on ball, I think he just in general is a better half-court shot creator than Zach is. But off the ball and playing off of LeBron specifically, I like Zach as a fit better. But the contract stuff that you mentioned is super important. Like, you can imagine a scenario where you bring in DeMar and then you retain him on a team-friendly deal because you have his bird rights. And you can bring him back at, you know, $20 million 
million for four years or something like that after the season. Like you have flexibility by bringing in his salary as an expiring in a way that helps you maintain the ability to build around Anthony Davis into the future. So I, I just think like at the end of the day, you bank on a guy like DeMar, this initial you know, month or so of the season being kind of fluky and him getting his shot back and kind of figuring things out. And then that just being a better option for you down the line. The Alex Caruso piece, I think, you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be Alex, but he's the type of player they need, which is like an excellent two-way off-ball player that can take primary point of attack assignments, can play off of LeBron as a cutter and as a shooter, and just in general is that like high-motor athlete that we've been talking about so much. That said, the problem with Alex specifically is like you think of him as a two next to Austin. And we've already seen kind of with 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 uh, Torian at the three, it looks a little small, looks a little bit like they struggle rebounding in those situations. Jared in there fixes a lot of the defense and rebound situations, but then you have the offensive questions surrounding him. And so a lot of times I kind of lean more towards looking for a bigger three and D wing because then you can put Torian at the two where he's actually been more successful this season. And so in a weird way, like when it comes to the Bulls potential packages, all three of those players kind of have a, a big kind of like question mark. Zach's contract ain't his knee. DeMar's kind of shooting this season and whatever it would cost to retain him. And then Alex and just whether or not that's exactly the type of player they should be looking at or not. Like, so it's complicated. And that just kind of leads me to where if it's the right deal and you don't have to overspend and it makes sense in terms of the salaries you do it, but you don't overpay for any of those guys. I would look at that as more of a trade of opportunity rather than a trade of aggression, if that makes sense. So that's that's kind of the direction I look with the Bulls. And then I, I do think, though, that – and you and I have said this in, in both of the shows we've done already, and I'm sure you still agree, which is I do think this team eventually does need to make some sort of trade. I, I think that that has been kind of like – you know, uh, one of the safest bets in this NBA season, the minute they resigned D'Angelo Russell. And I think that's kind of the direction we're going. Would you agree in that sense still? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think mm. so. Especially with, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the, but the Philly loss and uh, you know, LeBron saying they need to make a lot of changes. Uh, I think, I think something's coming down the road. Mm. So moving on to this Philly loss. So they dig a huge hole and then they, proceed to get their butts kicked anyway all the way through to the finish this third time this happened this season where they dug a big hole and then they weren't able to dig out of it they kind of got killed when sacramento came into town uh about a week ago or a week and a half ago and then when they went into orlando this happened and then going into philly this happened but one of the consistent themes throughout the season is they've dug holes even in their wins and even in the games they've had a chance to win i, I dug into the data today because i wanted to kind of demonstrate this because it really is insane they beat houston about a week ago, they dug an 11-point hole in that game. They beat uh, Portland. They dug an eight-point hole in that game, which, again, not that big of a hole, but against Portland, it's like, why? Why are you going down by eight against Portland? Like, that just should not happen, right? The uh, second win against Phoenix, they dug a 14-point hole in that game. When they beat the Clippers, they dug a 19-point hole in that game. When they beat the Orlando Magic at home in the uh, uh, game early in the season, they dug a eight-point hole in the second half of that game. When they beat Phoenix the first time, they dug a 12-point hole in that game. Even in the clutch loss to Dallas, which they led in the final minute, 
and lost on a Kyrie Irving game uh, game winning three. They dug a 20 point hole in that game. The Miami Heat game where we had Cam Reddish miss the wide open three and Austin Reeves missed a couple of really good looks down the stretch. They dug a 12 point hole in that game in the Sacramento loss at uh, the one that went to OT early in the season. They dug a 15 point hole in that game and still had a chance to win it late. And so like you basically listed every game at this point. (laughs) Yeah, like six of their 10 wins. They dug substantial holes and they are seven and three in crunch time. They've been one of the very, they have been the fourth best clutch team in the league by net rating. They've been excellent on both ends of the floor and literally all three of their losses, they frantically dug out of a hole and then barely lost and and had a chance to win. And so like, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think. And this is, I want to, I want to get into this for a little bit because I, I find it to be really fascinating. And so before we get into some of the details, I just want to ask you this, is the team aware that this is specifically is a problem? Are they doing anything to address it or are they downplaying it within the locker room? Uh, I mean, I think them trying to address it was moving Austin Reeves to the bench and playing some of the bigger lineups that you've seen recently with Torian Prince at the two. Now, the, the last couple games, they've been limited in, in terms of lineup flexibility with so many guys being out, particularly, I mean, Vando's missed the whole season. Rui has now missed almost half the season uh, with, with how many games he's been out. Uh, you know, Cam's missed the last three games. So those are three bigger, rangier wings that I, I think give you a certain level of lineup flexibility. This team has shown, uh, you know, through the first 18 games that they play better, bigger. Like that, that is their identity. It, kind of similar to last season, similar to uh, the 2020 team. Like they've played better with a defensive identity, more size on the floor, just kind of mashing you. Uh, you've seen that the rebounding has picked up. They haven't been as susceptible to uh, giving up offensive rebounds, second chance points uh, when they've had at least kind of like a 10 man rotation. Uh, so I think that there are some positive trends there, but uh, the slow starts like and you know, based on LeBron's comments last night, like I have to wonder if they consider a starting lineup change again. And whether that's Torian, whether that's D'Lo, uh, you know, I, I would suspect probably m- more likely Torian than D'Lo. But uh, like something's got to change where you can't keep getting down. Like Dar, Dar- I think Darvin has kind of downplayed it in, in some of his comments w- with us and in, in the rest of the media uh, in terms of you know it's not about who starts, it's about who closes, and like um, you know he and he'll look for kind of reasons to justify it at times. Uh, but it's a problem if you're consistently down eight to 12 to upwards of 15 or even 20 points in the first quarter. Uh, and and we know LeBron and AD are the starting locks. Those guys are, are good. I think Max has played pretty well over the last couple of games as a spot starter. Uh, so I think you have to look at Torian has really struggled at the three spot. He's shooting under 30% on threes. So I, I think that's something longer term where is Cam you know, this cam replace him. I think Vando is going to go back to starting ultimately, but uh, the, the Lakers, I think have to probably make a, another starting lineup change at some point, uh, or at least something within the, the early parts of the rotation, because right now those first six to eight minutes, every game consistently, they're just getting outplayed. And it's not like, uh, again, you know, they're down 12 to eight. Like a lot of times it's 22 to eight or something along those lines. So like that is a consistent problem that has hurt them all season. And I think last night was kind of the, the nadir of the season and you, you got to really, I think, evaluate or reevaluate at some point because this isn't, again, this isn't a a four game sample, a six game sample, an eight game sample. This has been 18 games of 
13, 14 of those, they've trailed by double digits. Yeah, so that that specifically is the part that's difficult to parse out, right? Is how much of it is related to legitimate personnel weaknesses and how much of it is related to effort. And I do think it's a little bit of both, but like when I watch the film, it's it's consistently a lack of effort to start games. And one of the problems they have is Anthony Davis can ebb and flow in effort. Now his lower defensive effort is still deeply impactful compared to the vast majority of defensive players in the NBA, but even he can kind of ebb and flow. Like I thought, I thought he was generally just not really fighting to hold his ground against Embiid at all. Uh, last night's game as Embiid was trying to basically bully him to the basket. He just kind of was tissue paper in a lot of ways. And I've just seen Embiid. I've seen AD do a much better job on Embiid than he did in that game. LeBron James in particular was making zero efforts off the ball to start last night's game. And then D'Angelo Russell in particular was really, really struggling. And so some of that you got to accept is the reality of the short term. Austin has become a better defensive player than D'Lo over the past few weeks. We've criticized Austin for his defense to start the year. I believe those criticisms were legitimate. His activity on the glass and defensively at the point of attack has gone up a level over the last couple of weeks. D'Angelo Russell is more or less where he's been the entire season. And so when you start games out with D'Angelo Russell and LeBron James as two guys that are kind of just feeling things out, right, and not really doing much, Anthony Davis defending, but not all world D Anthony Davis that we know he's capable of being. And then you have one high motor guy and Max Christie out there. And then Torian Prince, who's an average athlete with an average motor. I think that specifically is a recipe for disaster. Now, the obvious solution is if you were to bring Jared Vanderbilt into that situation, you have your high motor athlete, but we saw the Sixers last night do a lot of ignoring Max Christie in particular in the early portion of the game. And they're certainly going to do the same thing with Cam Reddish. And they're certainly going to do the same thing with Jared Vanderbilt around the league. And so then you run into this issue where maybe you bring in the athleticism and motor that you need in the starting lineup, but now you run into problems with the offense and just the spacing in general. And so they're not going to move Austin into Delo's position, even though Austin's been playing better than Delo because of all of the reasons that we've discussed in the past involving the ego. And so some of this is like, I have to almost tell Laker fans, like they're, they're the Lakers are telling you through their effort that they don't really view this as all that important. And part of it is like, they literally were below 500 all year last year and made the Western conference finals. So this is a team that like never really truly feels threatened during the regular season. So as fans, you got to adjust your expectations in a lot of ways because they do not have an easy personnel fix to this problem. After the deadline, if they do upgrade D'Lo into a high motor athlete, now you're in a situation where it could be Austin Reeves as a starting guard who is playing better in the details than D'Lo is, right? You have Jared Vanderbilt in the starting lineup. You have a guy who's a much better offensive player, two-way player, athlete at the two that you get back from D'Lo. And then you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Suddenly, I think you would have a much easier time floating the night in, night out effort stuff in the regular season. But that's not happening until February. And so, like, at a certain point, like, I kind of just think this is what they're going to be until then because they're always going to be in this predicament of their high-motor guys can't score. And when they put their offensive guys on the floor, they don't play hard enough. But then again, we see every single game, they're the second best uh, defense in the NBA in second halves this year. 
So much so that they were before the Philly game. And then even though they got boat raced in the second half of the Philly game and gave up a million points, they're still the second best defense in the league in second halves. They eventually lock in. They just don't do it until it's like, okay, we absolutely have to now if we're going to have any chance to win this game. And then you even see D'Lo and you even see LeBron and some of the lower level guys start to make additional efforts and make plays. And so like some of this is just, you got to accept the reality, but counterpoint is who won the title last year? A one seed, Denver Nuggets. Who won the title the year before that? A one seed, the Golden State Warriors. Who won the the, the title the year before that? A one one seed, the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Who won the title the year before that? A one seed, the Los Angeles Lakers. So like NBA history tells us, like if you want to chill, yeah, you can do a playoff run and you might be able to make it to the finals or make it to the Western Conference finals. But the team that wins is the team that from day one of the NBA season to the end of the regular season goes, we are using this 82 to practice being awesome at basketball so that when we get to the playoffs, we're ready for this. And so like, I would just say from a strictly basketball character standpoint, this team is throwing up all sorts of red flags that they don't give a shit. And, And at a certain point that should tell us a lot about what this team is capable of in the big picture. Yeah. Like they're playing like a team that, won the championship last year, right? And is in its title defense. And it kind of reminds me of uh, some of those, you know, mid-2010 Warriors teams uh, that, that got off to slower starts in the regular season uh, or or some of those early 2000s Lakers teams where, uh, you know, the, the first year they won the championship, they won 67 games. The next year they won 56. And uh, you, you just kind of see that from defending champions where, uh, but th- this team isn't a defending champion. Like th- they had a historic turnaround. They made the Western Conference finals, had a great finish to the season. Uh, but like, I, I still think, you, you know, it could go one of two ways where they come out. Sometimes you'll see a team make a deep playoff run. And the next year they come out like gangbusters and they start the season uh, 16 and four. And, you know, th- th- they're playing uh, with, with that hunger of, you know, we, we didn't reach our ultimate goal last year. And the Lakers have almost come out the opposite way, kind of to your point. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, well, we know we can kind of flip the switch. And and they kind of like, I, I don't think they did that at the end of last season, but there were several games last year. Like they kind of had this comeback resilient identity of no matter how much they were down, they could turn it up, ramp it up defensively get out in transition and and overcome that. And they had several notable comebacks uh, after the trade deadline last year. And I think that's that's still clearly in their DNA with some of the comeback, uh, some of the comebacks that they've been able to have this season. But then you run into a really good Philly team uh, that's big, uh, that has two guys playing at all-star, uh, if not all-NBA levels, and Embiid and Maxi. And you see what happens. You have a historic 44-point loss uh, tied for fourth uh, biggest deficit uh, in Lakers history and uh, the worst loss of LeBron James's career. And like, that's what happens when you don't, uh, as Darvin said last night, meet force with force. So I think that's kind of been a consistent trend for them. As you were saying, even against the Portland's of the world, it hasn't just been the Phillies. Uh, and, and like even the Portland, like a couple of those games, it was like they, they sort of just won with with their talent and, and just being a much better team than Portland, even if they aren't trying their their hardest. So this is something they have to address, whether it's now or, or down the road. Uh, I think it is one of the things that I've been slightly concerned with to start the season. Yeah, I think in the if I if I was coaching the team, what I would do to float things until the deadline is when Jared comes back, 
I'd move Austin into the starting lineup and I'd go with your same core five that you ran at the end of last season. Why? Because on a night in night out basis, Jared bringing that Austin more or less defending and rebounding the way he has over the last couple of weeks. I think there's enough of that in that lineup to make it work. But post deadline, the goal has to be if Austin is your one and LeBron's your four and AD is your five, you need two top tier athletes at the two and the three that are both plus offensive players, just as role player guys. I don't know if that ends up being Torian Prince and Jeremy Grant or Torian Prince and Dorian Finney-Smith or whether it ends up you know, uh, being a, a Torian Prince at the three and getting more of like an athletic guard or somebody like that. But you just you just can't go forward. It's not tenable anymore in the LeBron and AD era to be unathletic in your starting lineup. Because when you're unathletic and you don't play hard, you're going to get your ass kicked in the modern NBA. It, it really is that it, it really is that simple to me. And so I'm interested to see how they address that. I will say the last thing on this before we move on to our game. Um, Jared Vanderbilt will help a lot with this regular season stuff doesn't have anything to do with their ultimate playoff ceiling. In my opinion, unless Jared Vanderbilt turns into a 38% corner three point shooter, which I don't think is going to happen. So like, I, I don't think it, it's a take about what the Lakers are capable of, but the night in night out stuff, he's just going to help so much. I know we've said that like six times in the show, but it's just important because it is a legitimate loss that this team has been dealing with. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, so we're going to move forward to this game. This game is called Something or Nothing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Jovan a trend, mostly just facts being laid out. And Jovan's going to tell me whether or not that trend is something, meaning like something legitimate that needs to be factored in moving forward, or nothing, meaning it's just a blip and it's not anything to be concerned about and the Lakers shouldn't worry about it. So our first question. Max Christie and Cam Reddish have shown flashes of really high-level point-of-attack defense, even against particularly tough assignments. I think uh, I think that Max Christie in particular has gone through the ringer in this last week and has shown some really high-level stuff. 
obviously that's one of the biggest personnel needs on this roster. Is that trend something or nothing for the Lakers? I think it's something. Uh, I think that both guys, I mean, we talked about before the season uh, how high both of us were on Max Christie uh, after his summer league performance, the flashes that he showed last season. And I think you've started to see that over the past week that he's been thrown into the starting group. Um, I, I still think he has a ways to go in terms of his development. But uh, for a guy who's uh, you know, only 20 years old in his second NBA season, to be defending Donovan Mitchell and hold him to one of seven shooting and be defending him in crunch time. Like I, I just thought that showed me a lot. And then cam has been a revelation since uh, joining the starting lineup. And uh, you know, that was someone that I, I was pretty skeptical of the cam reddish signing, you know, based on uh, talking to people who had covered him before been around him before. And um, just didn't, it felt like you had a very mid-range heavy game. And I think you saw some of that in the preseason, but the Lakers have simplified his role as, you know, you are going to take catch and shoot threes. You, you will finish in transition. You'll get some back cuts and, and some offensive rebounds. But for the most part, like we don't want you putting the ball on the floor. We don't want you taking these pull-up uh, mid-range jumpers that you love to take. And, and then defensively, like you're that guy, you're our point of attack guy. You're going to guard the best perimeter defender and we want you to focus on on really just taking threes and and you know d defending your ass off. And I think he's done that so far. Uh, he, he's, I mean, uh, before his injury, he had led the league in steals in the month of November, and uh, I thought he was playing at a really really high level uh, and starting to kind of actualize his potential in the NBA. So both of those guys, to me, deserve to be in the rotation. And I don't know like what that means for a guy again we were talking about Torian Prince and some of his struggles uh when Vando comes back like you know do you just go giant and it's maybe fewer minutes for Delo fewer minutes for Gabe um and just more Austin at the one with these jumbo lineups of like Austin and Max in the backcourt Austin and Cam in the backcourt Austin and Torian in the backcourt and you're playing basically you know 6 5 and up guys in your rotation uh, which is something we saw the championship team do and, and have some success with for the most part. Uh, so I, I think this is something for sure. So I think it's something within the context of the regular season in the sense that like, I think both Max and Cam have shown that in a night out night, a night in night out kind of context, they can bring effort and energy and they're both great point of attack defenders. In my opinion, Cam Reddish coming out of college at, at Duke, that was the most exciting thing about him. Um, was he was really laterally quick and he had good to, uh, physical tools and he could sidle up and over screens pretty well. Like that was the number one thing that stood out about him coming out of, uh, out of college. Max, as we've talked about, it's the same combination. He's surprisingly strong, absorbs contact well, has good length and moves his feet really well and plays really hard all the time. That said, everything we know about NBA history tells us if you've got a really young player that has some offensive limitations that you're relying on in a postseason series, you might as well just check him off as being just almost useless, at least within the context of the important stretches of games. It's one thing for them to come off the bench for, you know, one shift a half and, and play really hard against the bench guy for the other team. But like, I think if either, I think if the Lakers are expecting that, like, oh, Jared's going to come back and Torian's going to move to the bench and Max or Cam is going to be our two, I think that would be a really bad idea. I think in the big picture, they're both perfectly fine as bench point of attack guys in the rotation. But 
relying on them to be consistent starting uh, uh, starting level production, especially as we get into the postseason, I think is I think that would be nothing. Like I think I think I, agree. I think I both guys would struggle heavily in a playoff series in big minutes. Is what I'm saying. The second question. This one was this one's a tough one for me. Post deadline last year, in 27 games, including 17 games coming off of the bench. Similar context to what's happening right now. Austin Reeves averaged 17 points and five assists per game on 73% true shooting. Last year in 16 playoff games, he averaged 17 points and five assists on 62% true shooting, down from the regular season, but still excellent. This season, in 18 games, hasn't missed a game, so he's had plenty of time to kind of build rhythm. He's averaging 14 points and five assists per game on 58% true shooting, which again is good but not the Austin that we got accustomed to seeing the latter half of last season. He has now also entered into another shooting slump. He shot just 26% from three over his last seven games. Is this something or nothing? Uh, I'm going to say nothing. Uh, I, I I agree with you. Like I, I kind of struggle with, with deciding how I feel about that. Um, I, I think expecting him to get back to 73% true shooting is that, that's a really high level uh, that I don't know what was sustainable. Uh, I do think in the grand scheme, he has played better since moving to the bench. Uh, he shot the ball better. Now, I think you could have moved D'Lo to the bench and, and probably had similar, if not better results. So I, I don't think it's strictly because the Lakers moved him to the bench, but it was clear you had to split those two guys up. And I think Austin playing with the ball more in his hands in second units, playing a little bit more with LeBron, uh, closing games, we, we've seen he, he's had some nice closing moments for them uh, in, in recent weeks. Uh, so I, I want to say it's nothing. I, I don't think he's going to continue to shoot the ball the, uh, as poorly as he has at several points this season. I do think his, his legs have come back more. You were talking about his defense. I think his defense has been better. His shot has looked better overall. Um, and, and a night like last night, I, I kind of chalk up like that. That was a an avalanche of, of just. You know, Philly was making everything. You had Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris uh, come off the bench and hit season high, uh, you know, four threes each, uh, almost single-handedly outshooting the Lakers, just those two guys. Uh, so I, it's just like, I, I feel like last night, and really we're at the point where a, a bad shooting night can dramatically swing uh, your shooting percentages. Like Max Christie went 0 for 3 last night on threes. He dropped from 35% three-point shooting down to 22%. So that just shows you one game can really swing how we view uh, someone's shooting. So with Austin, I think it's going to get better as we're talking about if this team makes a move and maybe even slots him more as like a fourth option or, or like a 3.5 option. I think you could see even better efficiency numbers with, with him. So um, I, I'm going to say nothing for now. Of course, if, if this continues for the next 20 games, I, I'll probably have a different answer. But I, I think we've seen enough of a sample size from Austin that I don't know if he's going to get quite to the heights of last season of 50, 40, 90, 73% true shooting percentage after the uh, trade deadline. But I do think he, he's a better shooter than he showed uh, through the start of the season. Yeah, see, that's the tough part is like, he's still been so good. Like he, the last couple of weeks, I, I would say that Austin was pretty bad to start the year. The, uh, when you factor in his poor shooting and the turnovers and what he, the struggles he was having defensively and on the glass, 
What's interesting is like he's kind of entered into a little bit more of a shooting slump recently, but his playmaking has actually gone up a level. He's starting to figure out the reads in the offense at, at a higher level. He's up over six assists per game over his last eight, if I remember correctly. And the defense and rebounding stuff has ticked up. And then you mentioned the crunch time stuff. He's been so unbelievably good in crunch time. It, like he literally made the biggest shot of the game against Houston. He made the reads to LeBron and those backdoor cuts against Cleveland. We've seen him hit big time pull-up jump shots in, in big moments in other clutch games throughout the season. Like he's been awesome in so many different ways. That said, like to me, there's a difference between like Austin being really good and Austin being what he's capable of being, which is like what Manu Ginobili was for those Spurs teams, which is this guy that like doesn't put up the most amazing box score numbers ever, but at the same time is deeply impacting winning on a, on a little bit higher level than where he is right now. And, and all I'll say is that it's nothing, but if this does turn out to be what he is, which I don't believe so, I believe he's going to, to play better in the bigger picture. That does change the way we'd have to look at the outlook for this team. Cause I do think they need Austin to be what he was in the playoffs last year, if not a little bit better for the Lakers to have a good chance to win the title this season. Um, but I did, I did think it was interesting to look back at those numbers. And what's crazy with Austin is like 58% true shooting. And we're talking about him. Like he's having a way down year as if that's huh. not like incredible in the, in, you know, over league average. Um, yeah. All right. Here's our, here's our last question. The Lakers have played the fourth toughest schedule in the NBA this season so far, with opponents having won 53% of their games. They have the ninth easiest remaining schedule as a result of that. Jared Vanderbilt has not played yet. Rui Hachimura has only played 279 minutes out of the 874 that the Lakers have played. Gabe Vincent has only played 113 minutes. They are well positioned for a midseason trade. And despite all of that, they are 10 and eight and are just three and a half games back of the number one overall seed. And they have several really positive trends, in my opinion, with LeBron's jump shooting, which is at 1.09 points per jump shot, uh, which is way up from last year and right about where you need him to be. And Anthony Davis is having the best post-up season of his career in large part fueled by him hitting every single hook shot that he's taking, the, like damn near Jokic-esque. Everything I just said, is that something or is that nothing? It's something. Uh, I think it's something. Um, I, I will say uh, one thing that I've been a little discouraged by is they're five and eight against teams that are 500 or better and five and oh against teams below 500. Uh, so on, on the one hand, it is encouraging to see them taking care of business. They're beating the teams they should beat. Uh, they've beaten those teams in, in, impressive fashion thinking about the utah win uh the memphis win uh and and they've taken care of business particularly in the in-season tournament which is uh feels like if you called every game an in-season tournament uh game all of a sudden uh th this team looks like world beaters uh but i think so some of the losses against the better teams like i, I want to see some more impressive wins i thought the cleveland win was impressive the houston win was impressive uh but then i also look at the, the Philly shellacking and like that to me, I, I don't want to read too much into a regular season result, but like uh, even the, the, I, I mean, uh, Darvin kind of called it out last night, but like even the rookies came in and weren't giving maximum effort. And you, you had that Mo Bamba dunk late in the game. And it was just like, even with Embiid out, they were outscored 40 to 14 in that fourth quarter and Philly's third unit was kicking their third units. But so to me, like, 
I, I do want to see more of that care factor. I, I do want to see them take the regular season and these first quarters more seriously. But to your point, with how difficult the schedule's been, uh, with how many guys they've had out, and, and really critical guys, because I think this roster, while it is deep, they they clearly have guys in specific roles, and the the roles that they've been missing, uh, like on paper, be, before Cam Reddish kind of broke out, we would have said Jared Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent were their two best perimeter defenders, taking AD aside, uh, but when he has the guard wings, but like Vanderbilt and Vincent being out, I think has really compromised their perimeter defense. And even with that, they've been so good defensively over the last 10 games or so. And that's kind of become their calling card again. So for me, I think it is something that this team, as you said, has, has a much easier schedule moving forward. Uh, the, the, you know, they, they're basically on the road for a month. If you look at their, their schedule, kind of starting with this road trip uh, and then their home Saturday against the Rockets, their home next week for the in-season tournament, but then they go Vegas, the, then they got Dallas and San Antonio. And like they, they got several road trips in December. Once they get through that, it, it's a lot easier. So I think this is a team that is going through it right now, but they're going to figure it out. Um, I, I still think they will be a, a in that playoff you know, top six. Uh, it's just a matter of how high is the ceiling and that is something that we we, we got to see what they look like when they they get their guys back. And then on top of that, what do they need? And do they ultimately make a move? I, I think we both are in agreement that they will. What does that move look like? And how much does that raise their ceiling? Yeah, it's funny because the Philly game in particular, I, I just don't care all that much about because it's not like we're watching that game and like, oh, they're completely overmatched. Like I, yeah. I haven't felt in any of these losses to the good teams that the Lakers are overmatched. I haven't felt that way. And like... And, you know, the NBA is kind of weird like that, where it's like, yeah, they, the Lakers also just had a really impressive road win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. That same Cleveland Cavaliers team that just went into Philly and beat Philly, that you know, and like, and I'm pretty sure that uh, if I remember correctly, Donovan Mitchell didn't even play in that game. And so like, like, that's just kind of how things go. Like the game last week where the Kings came in and just, and just beat their ass, like, have you looked at the Kings this season? Like outside of the two Pelicans losses last week, they've, they've kicked everyone's ass, including a bunch of good teams. Like they're just playing really good basketball right now. Like a lot of this is just kind of how the NBA regular season goes, which is why we talked about that set of trends. Like this is not, this is, you know, cause I've heard a lot of Lakers fans use the phrase, Oh, another fake comeback. These are not fake comebacks. You know how I know? Because I remember the fake comebacks last year, the fake comebacks were like, they're completely overmatched and are terrible. And then they just play harder and they get it back to like eight. And then they end up losing by 11 and everyone's like, Oh, they got it from 27 to eight. That's a fake comeback. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. These are like, they're in position to win a lot of these games. They won six of them and they almost won another three where they, so like, this is literally like a matter of effort. They have been one of the very best second half teams in the NBA and they have fared extremely well in slow down half court environments against the best teams in the league. They've done well. This is literally an issue with effort and focus and energy and athleticism during the, during the larger portions of games, especially in the early portions of games. And so like, here's the thing. Would I feel a hell of a lot better about them if they were 24 and three, like they were in the 2020 season? Absolutely. That's why I'm not over here saying the Lakers are the championship favorite. They're not. I have them as a lower level team in the championship contender tier because they have the tools. They have personnel things that they can implement in a playoff series that other teams cannot do. That is why they have the capability of winning a championship. But 
for me to really get behind this team, they need to have an extended stretch where they look like a championship team. And so far to this point, as a result of the injuries, as a result of the schedule, and as a result of some really poor effort, they've looked underwhelming. But in spite of that, they're 10-8 and eight instilling stri- in striking distance to make moves. So I think in general, it's one of those things where like my feelings about the Lakers in the big picture haven't changed all that much except for that it just kind of looks like a lower level of focus than you would hope for from a traditional NBA champion. But I haven't seen like major personnel things flash off the screen where I'm like, oh, like that's new. I don't think they can overcome that. Like I haven't felt that way. Have you felt that way at all? The one, the one thing that I'm concerned with, and this has been a concern for me going on several years now, is the three-point shooting. Um, and part of that, I think there's a trickle-down effect that you know people – don't really factor in where you play better defense, you're, you're going to get better shots offense. Like it's just kind of, it's, it's a, it's a yo-yo where like, I think you, you know, put better defensive players on the floor, like theoretically, um, you know, that, that's going to stop teams from scoring as much. And then, you know, you're able to get out and transition and, and get easier baskets. And like, so I, I think offensively, some of the concerns will just kind of be ironed out by getting Vando back eventually and in game and et cetera. But I do think the three-point shooting is a concern for me. Uh, looking at, you know, a- after last night, uh, they're 30th in the league in makes per game. Can't get any worse than that. Uh, 29th in attempts per game. And I, I think they're they're 26th uh, in percentage. Uh, so to me, like, that is something where you cannot win a championship as a bottom five three-point shooting team in all three of those categories. Uh, so, and I know some of that is, it's it's variance and um you know they're going to regress positively and and I, I you know they're not a bottom five three point shooting team but if they're closer to that like twentieth best three point shooting team I, I do think that's a concern in a playoff setting and again maybe they address that with uh, what, the moves they make at the trade deadline they bring in a couple shooters uh, and and it looks a lot better but to me there has to be a certain level of shot making that hasn't always been there with, with this group. And, um, so that, that would be my kind of only real concern through these first 18 games is like, you have a guy like Torian coming in career 38% three point shooter. He's shooting under 30%. And I think that's going to get better, but we've also seen guys come to LA and just for whatever reason, not shoot the ball as as well as they normally do in other spots. Like I look at Pat Beverly last year, like Pat was quietly a a near 40% three point shooter the last few years before coming to LA, he comes in and just can't make a shot. Uh, so I, I mean, Malik Beasley, 35% with the Lakers last year, 45% right now with Milwaukee. So like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the lights, I don't know if it's playing with LeBron, uh, or a combination, but like guys just don't shoot the ball as well in LA as they do in other spots. And that to me is, is the one concern of just like, clearly they can still win games, not shooting the ball well. Uh, but to me, like it, it has to get at least closer to league average, for me to have more confidence in their playoff offense. Cause right now that that's kind of the one area I'm a bit concerned with. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing I'll say that gives me a uh, less trepidation surrounding the shooting is just what the core five will look like down the line. Like if the core five down the line ends up being Austin Reeves with Torian Prince at the two and player to be named later who's a good shooter that can defend that you get back at the trade deadline with LeBron the way he's shooting this season and Anthony Davis, I don't think spacing is going to be a concern in the important stretches of games 
you know, down the line. I do think from a process standpoint, I'd like to see the Lakers take more threes. Specifically, I was thinking about that in the Sixers game last night where it's like when LeBron James and Anthony Davis play with real downhill force, which they do whenever they need to, they don't really need to shoot. Like, it's just not necessary. They're just so damn good at, at getting downhill to the rim. But in the lion, in in the in the rest of these portions of games, when they're kind of in chill mode, I'd almost like to see more guys taking threes because just in sheer attempts, they're just not taking enough. Like they're they're like right around I think twenty nine three point attempts per one hundred possessions. Them and the Pistons are the only teams in the league taking less than thirty. Like you you need to be just from a shot value standpoint taking more of them and like you almost think of it as like a floor balance thing like set your defense up so that you can get back and transition off a long rebound and take more threes it, it, it because just just from a, the standpoint of shot value when when you come off of a screen and you got to look just take it instead of just like you know kind of hesitating and then swinging the ball for the next guy to do the same thing you know what i mean i'd like to see them push their volume a little bit but as long as they can come up with a core five where you have to guard all the guys i i think i think they're fine in in the big picture um, is there anything else you wanted to plug before we get out of here today? No, just uh, at Yovan Buha and all social platforms and uh, read my work at The Athletic. All right, man. This was awesome. As usual, we will be having you on again next week. As always, we appreciate all of you guys for supporting us and for supporting the show. And we will see you guys tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.